I am back for another riveting episode of Broadcasting Brilliance. Chris Michaels for the Last Call podcast. Today is going to be an episode on proportions and math and why it's important to dissect any kind of statistics that people are telling you about. So David Glasser over at the College Fix has some interesting little tidbits about Oregon University. So let's start this off with a post that was made by uh, Krasenstein. Over on X, these two brothers, the Krasenstein brothers, they're very, very good at generating engagement, mainly because they started off on Twitter to be Justin Bieber fan accounts. And once they got a plenty, plenty buttload of followers, I think over a million followers, they quickly changed their profile from a Bieber, Justin Bieber Fans, uh, fan account to a Democrat-run political account, and then magically they have all this engagement. And on the top of that, they do know how to phrase questions that just generate ire all the time. So these idiots decided to post some statistics about how, oh, well, Biden voters are inherently more intelligent. Just look at the test scores in all of the states that went for Biden, and they are far surpassing anything that a Trump state uh, generally scores. So uh, that just settles it right there. A Biden voter is far smarter than any Trump voter any day of the week. Well, here's part of the problem, and Oregon University is going to lay this out pretty. There is something called GPA fixation. So in other words, they've got too many students failing. And they don't want to say, oh, it has to do with the tenured professors, it has to do with the curriculum, it has to do with the program and how it's incompetent, or it has to do with how we're accepting students, right? It has to do with admissions, because maybe we shouldn't be accepting some of these students. Maybe they just don't get it. Maybe they're not cut out for college. Doesn't mean they're incompetent. Could be that they should be going to a trade school or something like that, which, by the way, you can make just as much money going through a trade school as you could going through four to six years of college. And oddly enough, as soon as you're done with the trade school, you start making money ASAP, unlike a college degree in most cases. So GPA fixation, they have a big problem here. Do you know why? They've got too many students getting D minuses and Fs. So what does that do overall? It lowers... The GPA, the overall GPA of Western Oregon University. So why does that make a difference? Well, it has to do with funding. It has to do with overall statistics for the state of Oregon itself and what kind of colleges are in there. So what they're doing with these D minus and F grades, it just gives a no credit score to the student that scored that poorly. So what does this do? It then removes the stat from the overall scores that are used for the statistics, right? So it does this. It will not negatively impact student GPAs. That's what the news release stated. So if we're trying to phrase this in another way, let's say you've got 100 students, right? And 50 of those 100 students got D minuses and Fs. That means that your GPA for that college or that university is in the tank, right? You only have 50% of your students actually passing in some form or another. Notice that A, B, Cs, and Ds are still counted. 
Now, what's even worse than this is that if we remove the D minuses and Fs, the 50 students out of 100 that scored at that level, all of a sudden, everybody, 100% of that class is now passing. You went from a 50% failure rate to a 100% failure rate just by removing two scores that are inconvenient to the university faculty. Do you see how that works? Do you see how proportions work? Do you see how math works? The College Fix, uh, in a statement to the College Fix, they had a, a stooge tell them the GPA fixation we have as a country and the grading system that's been in place for over 200 years has been used to determine who belongs and who is capable, although we know the similar cases are related to the SAT and the ACT. Many capable students have been prohibited from pursuing their post-secondary education due to these barriers. What this sounds like to me is that they had a massive DEI program. And so they allowed a bunch of people that did not score well enough to normally be accepted into these colleges. But since they come from a certain national background, if they're a certain gender or if they're confused about their gender or if they come from a certain religious background, they were miraculously accepted into this university. And then we also have those cases where Yale College, the only thing they do over there, well, not the only thing, but in a lot of cases, 79% of the grades given out at Yale University are either A's or A minuses. Well, then you've got that other situation on the far end of the spectrum away from this university in Oregon going on at Yale. If you're only ever going to give out A's and A minuses, right? You're, it's essentially a pass fail. You're always going to get an A. It's, it's just whether or not you get an A minus or an A. There's no bell curve there. It doesn't mean that Yale University accepted the cream of the crop and all these students are so brilliant that they only ever score A's and A minuses. And if they ever went to, I don't know, a SUNY school, a University of New York somewhere, then, oh, my God, I mean, if there's, if there's a grade higher than an A+, plus, these Yale students must be getting that grade. Maybe they've got ludicrous plus as a grade. No, that's not, how, that's not what's really going on here. Yale is putting its thumb on the scales. So that they can say, oh, look, we don't have a bell curve because we've got so much brilliance here. Everybody gets an A or an A minus. And then they have a few students that get a B plus or a B, uh, but that's about it. We have no failing. We've got no C's. Everybody's an A. And then lo and behold, they get all kinds of money and they can say, oh, look at how good our scores are. This is why you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars per year to go here. All about proportions, all about math and how they manipulate these statistics. It's extremely, extremely disruptive and disturbing that this is how everything works. Let's go to another story. Unbiased crime report. Mother Jones reported that there were 12 mass shootings in 2023. I don't know about you, but I seem to remember a lot more than 12 mass shootings over the course of 2023. Don't you? Aha, uh -huh. CNN even said that there were 658 mass shootings in 2023. Well, not even that kind of makes sense, because at the unbiased crime report, we find out that there were 700 mass shooting deaths in 2023, but the mainstream media really only wants you to know about 75 of them. Why would they want that? Because those 75 mass shootings involve white shooters, black shooters, Hispanic shooters, and Asian shooters. 
So usually individuals. Do you know where 643 out of 700 mass shootings got redistributed because the government changed the definition of what a mass shooting is? Those 643 mass shootings got removed from the mass shootings statistics and recategorized as gang violence. So if you've got multiple people with multiple weapons engaging in shootouts, killing 643 out of 700 or, or causing 643 out of 700 mass shootings, that looks disturbing. That looks damaging to the narrative. More than likely, a lot of this gang violence is going to be done at, in inner cities. And unfortunately, because it's probably the truth, more than likely, it would involve some class of minority. But they don't want you to know that. They don't want you to know that all of their gun policies, no guns for criminals, we need background checks, we need uh, suppositories put up people's butt to make sure that there's nothing hiding up there and they don't have a criminal record in their anus. That's it. We need everybody to go and engage and wait 12 months to get a pistol before any. They're violating your constitution. They don't want you to know that all of these guns, I shouldn't say all, more than likely, most of these guns in, that were used in this gang violence were illegally purchased right under the nose of these Democrat mayors that are crying foul and want to take away your weapons. Once again, we've got fun with numbers. Because if you were to look at the racial statistics of these 643 instances of gang violence, I'm pretty sure there would be a redistribution amongst black and Hispanic and white and Asian shooters. Just for points of reference, there were 41 white mass shooters, eight black mass shooters, eight Hispanic uh, mass shooters, 18 Asian mass shooters, and there's 643 instances of gang violence. I implore you to look at that statistic of gang violence if you've got nothing else to do and you feel like depressing yourself. And determine the racial statistics that were involved in those 643 instances of gang violence. Once again, another glittering jewel of how statistics are manipulated and how they are skewed in such a way to portray a narrative so that everyone gets on board with the World Economic Forum or the Democrats or the Bolsheviks or the Rhino Republicans so that, oh, look at this. Gun shootings are out of control. And look at oh, for most of these shootings are all on the white side. No, no, not at all. Not at all. It's all fun with numbers. I mean, isn't this great? I mean, I wish they taught this kind of thing back in high school. Then, oh, this is a great one because I've spoken about this many times. I got shot down for saying this exact thing, by the way. It has to do with climate change. Uh, climate change, man-made climate change, of course. So as we all know, we had Noah. He's out there. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Big, big, big agency. Sucks up billions of dollars from the federal government. By the way, it is supposed to be a fact if we're to believe Monkey Works over on YouTube, who analyzes data, analyzes logistics data, so aircraft data and uh, cargo data, sea cargo and all that stuff, NOAA 
contracts with, not contracts, contracts with, see, emphasis on the right syllable is important here. NOLA contracts with certain airline companies to spread out chemtrails and engage in weather manipulation. That's at least his conjecture, and I tend to believe, I tend to lean in that direction. So Sarah Kapnick, chief scientist over at NOAA, not only was 2023 the warmest year in NOAA's 174-year climate record, it was the warmest by far. Oh, what could cause something like this? And she continues, well, we should read it, because more than likely, uh, we should read it with an accent, because more than likely, uh, Miss Kapnick is uh, is there for certain reasons. Uh, we'll read it with the inflection of a hyperbolic liberal. A warming planet means we need to be prepared for the impacts of climate change that are happening here and now, like like extreme weather events that become more frequently frequent and severe. Ugh, God, how insufferable. Now, here is where the NOAA narrative completely goes tits up. Anthony Watts, meteorologist and senior fellow over at the Heartland Institute, 90% of NOAA's temperature monitoring stations have what they call a heat bias. What is a heat bias? Well, they set up their weather stations in areas that naturally will be generating more heat. Mr. Watts said the few stations that are left that are not biased because they are, for example, outside of a town, in a field, an agricultural research station that's been around for 100 years, their data gets completely swamped out by the much larger data set of the biased data. There's no way you can adjust that out. So more fun with numbers. If you want to skew the climate change numbers, how do you do that? You take temperature readings. And where do you put the thermometers that would engage or the weather stations that would engage in those temperature readings? Why? You put them on tarmacs where there's no shade, where there's a lot of jet exhaust that is extremely hot blowing around. Oh, I know you put them in urban areas like in the middle of New York City where there is heat radiating off of the blacktop, which I can promise you exists. Oh, ah, here's another one. Let's put one in Phoenix, and we'll put one on Phoenix right above a tarmac, the Phoenix International Airport, Sky Harbor. And wouldn't you know it, it's even hotter in Phoenix than we expected. Do you see how they manipulate this? And another little trick that Noah does is that since they are putting these weather stations in areas that are naturally going to be hotter or artificially going to be hotter, you want to talk about man-made climate change, here you go, but it's, but it's skewing the data. They're purposefully registering man-made climate change by putting these things on tarmacs and in cities, right? And then they do this. They say, oh, this weather station is going to cover about 50 to 100 miles worth of climate. What? Excuse me. You can have so so that weather station could cover all around. If that weather station is in the center, you could have a hundred miles on one side, a hundred miles on the other side. So one weather station could cover up to two hundred miles worth of weather patterns. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure 
50 to 200 miles is a fairly large area to be generalizing with one weather station in an urban area on a tarmac. So no, you're not going to get the right data. And furthermore, since we're playing with proportions, if you put more data collection devices, more weather stations in warmer urban areas, just by default, the averages are going to be skewed towards the weather stations that are placed in locations that are artificially increasing the temperature in the statistics. Why? Just by data alone. If you've got one in the sticks and you've got 10 in a city and we want to take a survey of New York weather patterns, well, you've got 10 all showing one thing because you place them at JFK's airport and you've got one showing a different temperature because you placed it in Austin. So what does that say? You've got 10 to 1. Proportionally, the data that shows the same types of characteristics for those 10 weather stations are going to out overpower the one outlier off in Austin. And so that outlier gets thrown out. That data is irrelevant. It's an outlier. It's too far skewed. It's not part of the bell curve anymore. That's how they do this. That's how they do this. Faulty temperature readings. The urban heat island causes higher temperatures in areas where there are more buildings, roads, and other forms of infrastructure that absorb then radiate the sun's heat, according to the EPA. The agency estimates that daytime temperatures in urban areas are at least 1 to 7 degrees Fahrenheit higher than temperatures in outlying areas. And nighttime temperatures are anywhere between 2 and 5 degrees Fahrenheit higher. Consequently, NOAA requires all its climate observation stations to be located at least 100 feet away from elements such as concrete, asphalt, and buildings. Well, then why are they setting them up in places that are extremely susceptible to manipulation? Because they're doing it anyway. We found 68 stations, uh, Mr. Watts says, located at wastewater treatment plants where the process of waste digestion causes temperatures to be higher than in surrounding areas. We found stations located next to exhaust fans of HVAC units, surrounded by asphalt parking lots and roads, on blistering hot rooftops, near sidewalks and buildings that absorb and radiate heat. Well, I thought none of this was supposed to be happening. I thought it was supposed to be out in Central Park somewhere. I thought it was going to be out in, a, in, in uh, some kind of country prairie to get an accurate portrayal of what's really going on with the climate. So Mr. Watts calling out Noah over here. So the next time you see, oh, it's uh, climate change and clearly it's man-made. No, no, they're lying about it. They're lying about it and they want to lie about it. Why? Because it is a grift. It is a grift in, in multiple ways. I've explained it plenty of times. 15-minute cities rounding you up, climate lockdowns. Oh, look, we need to stay in our homes for two weeks to flatten the curve because it's just so hot and we're going to overwhelm the grid. And, oh, God, and the only way to get over this because it's going to happen again. I mean, if COVID happened, there's going to be disease X. And if we had to shut down for climate, well, good Lord, you better come up with some, uh, some plan to make sure this doesn't happen again, everybody better start driving electronic vehicles and uh, only driving within 15 minutes of your registered address. Do you see how this works? Do you see the manipulation that goes on here? And of course, all you have to do is look at the statistics about how much money 
has been dumped into these supposed green technologies. Have you ever seen pictures of the wind farm blades that are no longer used? First off, they're massive. I I don't know if you've ever seen them up close. They are absolutely massive. And once they're done, once they're used, they're done. They're done. They're absolutely done. So they just lie there in the woods. They lie there in junkyards. Or have you ever seen what happens when they can't use solar panels anymore? And what happens? Oh, does it get recycled? I don't know about that one. I don't know. So this climate change deal is a grift because they want from the United States for the next couple of years trillions upon trillions of dollars to combat climate change. That's what they want. That's what they want. And this data manipulation where all of a sudden, oh, we've got so much, started at around 1980. 1980. It's not surprising. It is not surprising at all that they're trying to run with this narrative. All they have to do is just come up with a way to manipulate the way the data is collected. And in this case, on tarmacs and buildings and urban areas and all that. And all of a sudden, oh, God, the world is on fire. Meanwhile, you can go back to the 1970s and find all of these scientific articles about how the world is going to freeze up. and There's not enough warmth going on. We're going to be entering into a new ice age. So, and on top, if you really want to look at statistics, look at the supposed temperatures of what the Earth was, or on top of that, the CO2 levels the Earth had all throughout its history. I don't mean going back to 1980. I don't even mean going back to the 1890s where all of this really started, all this data really started to get collected. I mean the true data going back hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. Guess what? What's happening now is a blip. It's not even a rounding error. That's how small the CO2 increases and the heat increases are. It's nonsense. Don't believe it. And final, final math problem for us today comes out of Quinnipiac. Once again, we're using proportions here. Big, big article. Oh, that's it for Trump. It's over. It is over. Diana Glabova decides to not analyze the data and pens a missive. From a very biased pollster, Timothy Malloy, who I think, if I found the right person on OpenSecrets.org, is a Democrat donor. If not him, his wife is. So we have immediately a pollster. So somebody that takes data, calls people up, says, would you vote for this? Do you like George Went? Would you like to see George Went eating beans? Would you like to be in a movie seeing George Went or sitting alongside him whilst he eats beans with you? That's an old joke. But, okay, Quinnipiac did a poll with a su- suspected, suspected Democrat donor. And Diana Glabova just parrots whatever Mr. Malloy says in his poll. Okay, here's the headline. Biden holds six-point national lead over Trump fueled by female voters. Poll. Oh, God, that's it. That's it. This is going to happen. E- even, even the two stooges. The zilches on 710WOR who took over Rush Limbaugh's spot even said this would happen last week. 
Oh, the women voters, those are the ones that Trump didn't get. And if he doesn't get those, that's it. It's over. It's another four years of Joseph Biden and Kabbalah Harris. Oh, goodness gracious, what are we going to do? The only VP that we can see Trump choosing in order to win those suburban mothers, those female voters, is Nikki Haley. And we all know where Buck and Clay come from with their allegiances as far as this election and being pro-Trump or anti-Trump really lie. Okay, so Biden holds six-point lead. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So if you look at this data, we find out that in a popular vote of hypothetical 2024 registered voters. Okay, so right there, you have to stop. Popular vote. Guess what? We don't select presidents by popular vote. Doesn't happen. We've got the Electrical College. And they determine who wins the erection. So, in a popular vote, which, by the way, for anybody that doesn't know what a popular vote is, it's one vote or one ballot is one vote, right? So if 100 people vote, it is going to be 100 ballots counted, and therefore we've got 100 votes going this way or that way. In a republic with an electrical college, you've got <laughs> – I couldn't even get it out. And when it goes to the elector, electoral college, those votes then get essentially redistributed into the electoral college, and then you've got electors, and they cast electoral ballots, and then that's how they vote, okay? So it's not a popular vote. It's not a popular vote. Otherwise, you'd have massive, massive leanings towards Democrat cities because those are the people or those places are where a lot of voters lie. And that's where you get the electoral college from and all that stuff. Okay, so the popular vote, first off, it's nonsense, right? You cannot say, oh, look, that's it, Trump is losing because of a popular vote. Well, technically, technically, plenty of presidents have lost the popular vote but still became president. So right there— it's it's done. The, 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 you shouldn't really put a lot of weight behind Quinnipiac's poll. Now, next status. Now, here, here comes the big one. Sit down, everybody, because I am going to be reading. The Quinnipiac University survey shows Biden leading Trump 50 percent to 44 percent after the same poll had the incumbent edging out his rival 47 to 46. Biden's strong numbers are driven by the support of 58 percent of female voters. 52% of independents, and 62% of voters with college degrees. The gender demographic tells a story to keep an eye on the Quinnipiac, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Okay, so let's really analyze this. If we're saying that we're taking a poll, this is what's important. This is what's important. How does this really factor in if Trump is supposedly winning? This poll is saying the following. That, talking about long pauses here, that essentially the there are more female voters that are going to be going for uh, Joseph Biden, right? That's that's essentially what this is happening here. But here's the problem with all this. This is how you skew all of the data. So on the Democrat side, they essentially had two different two different uh, types of registered voters, right? They they did a, a poll of actually, you know what? I'll just go to the effing data. 
So it's all the way at the end. And of course, now the old mouse doesn't work. So we got to do this the old-fashioned way. And of course, nothing works now. Oh, this is great. This is great. So we'll have to do this by memory. Fantastic. All right. Okay, so we're just going to do this by memory. <sighs> so, you know, it's hard to soar like an eagle. And I'm going to say this. All day, and this started last night, but all day I have been having issues with electronics not working, the interwebs going out, uh, things just not charging for some reason, not registering with uh, the phone. The Wi-Fi doesn't register with... I, I, I have had enough. I'm going to start using candles again. Okay, so I got it back up. 1,650 self-identified registered voters. Okay, so this is how you skew the results. You had 696 Republicans. You had 693 Democrats or Democrat-leaning voters. And 696 Republican or Republican-leaning voters. So what does this mean? It means that they're telling you who they chose to engage in this poll, right? Okay, this is good. This is good data. We now know where people stand. Ah, but you don't. Why don't you? Because they don't tell you where those people live. They don't tell you the gender breakdown. And I'm looking at the actual PDF out of Quinnipiac. So it's not like, oh, out of 1,650 uh, voters, uh, we had, um, we had uh, 893 women. So if we're to play devil's advocate here, out of all of those self-identified nation nationwide voters, what are they going to do? They're going to call more Democrat females than they are Republican females or Democrat males. And they're going to call more Republican males than Republican females. So right there, you have skewed gender results. For instance... We call up 100, uh, 100 Democrats, 100 Republicans. But we're going to call up 75 female Democrat uh, Democrats. And we're only going to call up 25 Republican fe uh, females. Do you see how that works? 75 female Democrats, 25 female Republicans. So, yes. Of course, more of them, more women, by default, due to proportions, will show that they support Biden over Trump. By default, that's what's going to happen. And then they talk about margins of error. Well, when I was in statistics courses, you generally don't want a high margin of error. You want something around one, maybe two percent margin of error. These guys have a margin of error of three point seven percent. That's enormous. I've seen some Democrat polls going up to plus or minus five percent margin of error. You might as well not even take the survey because the, the the results can be so skewed. 
For those of you that don't know what a margin of error is, it means, well, the data that we're presenting you could really swing in either direction by 3.7 percentage points. So let's take this another way. Let's say it's 51-49 Biden wins over Trump. So 51 minus 3.7 is 47.3. 49 plus 3.7 is 52.7. You have now, by rightfully so, using the margin of error, because it goes in both directions for either number, have now switched that Biden leading poll of 51.49 to Trump winning 52.47. In other words, it is a statistical dead heat, and on top of that, this, the poll is irrelevant because it doesn't present you with any new data. It doesn't matter. The margin of error is too large for it to actually go anywhere. What you would really want to have is 52% Trump, 48% Biden with a margin of error of one. That way, 52% could either be 53 or 51% with a margin of error of 1, and 48% could either be 49 or 47% with a margin of error of 1. So either way, it doesn't matter, Trump won. You can even subtract it, right? 52% Trump goes to 51. 48% Biden goes to 49. You still have 49 to 51. Trump wins. That's what a margin of error should really be like. Not 37 it's ridiculous. This poll is irrelevant. So do you see how they mess with statistics? Do you see how this all operates? And what they could also be doing is for the female Republicans that they call, they're going to be given or they're going to choose women that are in extremely pro-Nikki Haley locations and districts. Why would they do that? Because the question that the pollsters asked was something along the lines of, would you choose Biden or Trump? Well, we all know that Nikki Haley voters are basically Democrats, so of course they're not going to choose Trump. They're going to choose Biden. So right there is another way of how they manipulate the female data that is presented in this Quinnipiac poll. And that adds to the statistic, because in that number— in that 50, what was it, 58% six-point lead or whatever, right? 50%. 50 44, right? Okay, yeah. So 58, uh, yeah, 50 to 44%. So how does that happen, right? How does that happen? Well, I just told you how. These numbers, they don't tell you the breakdown of the amount of women that were polled, just whether or not they're Democrats or Republicans. They don't tell you the location of these polls of where, or where they chose these people to be polled from. So they're obviously, in my opinion, choosing Democrat-heavy locations and also Nikki Haley-heavy locations, who we know have an inherent bias towards the Democrats, those Nikki Haley voters which ultimately means it skews it in the direction for Biden by default. And like I said, call up more women on the Democrat side, call up more men on the Republican side, and just proportionally, you're going to get a skewed vote for Biden 
on the female statistic. Now, they reference Biden leading Trump 50 to 44 percent. Oh, six points. I mean, good God, this is outrageous. That's it. It's over. Trump shouldn't even run anymore. We need somebody like a Nikki Haley. Ah, that's also what this poll shows. It polls or this poll shows that a lot of voters, oh, they like Nikki Haley. Ooh, why would that be? Oh, we, you know what? Nikki Haley, she doesn't stack up too bad against old Biden. Yeah, looking pretty good over there. Looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. In a hypothetical 2024 general election matchup between Biden and Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley, 47% of voters support Haley, 42% support Biden. Ah, there we go. So once again, you can imagine how those numbers are skewed. If you're going to choose Biden to Haley, you have those female voters. And it also depends upon who they're using for that. Because in that matchup, they could be choosing to put a heavier distributive weight on Republican voters that are for Nikki Haley than they would Democrat voters. So two or three Nikki Haley Republican votes are actually worth six Nikki Haley votes versus Democrat, maybe one or two votes. You can do all that stuff with statistics. You can weight the data. But here's the important thing with all this, right? This is what he said. In a head-to-head matchup against Biden, Haley outperforms Trump thanks to independents. Oh, another important group. Which, by the way, just because you're registered as an independent doesn't mean you're not a Democrat. Add third-party candidates to the mix. And her numbers slip in part because of her weakness amongst Republicans. Ah! So right there, we're trying to push Nikki Haley up in the polls by saying, look how good she performs. Look how well she performs against Joseph Biden. Whoa! Now, let's go back to this stupid New York Post article. 50 to 44%. Let's remember that margin of error. Plus or minus 3.7%. So, if we're to say that Biden wins 50 to 44, 50% minus 3.7, that would give Biden 46.3%. Oh, now let's go to the Trump side. 44 plus 3.7 gives him 47.7%. Almost a point and a half lead versus Biden. And since we're only going up or down by the margin of error, it is perfectly within the realm of statistical possibility that what I just did is the more accurate number because their margin of error is too large. In other words, this poll is nonsense. It doesn't matter. It is a statistical dead heat. It doesn't matter. This is a hit job against Trump. It's also a hit job against Biden. The one that does come out looking good is Nikki Haley. And that's where the Democrats would want this to be. Trump's Republican rival in the New York Post article, Nikki Haley, would defeat Biden in a hypothetical head-to-head race by five percentage points in the popular vote, 
Once again, plus or minus 3.7% margin of error. So it could, in fact, be that, oh, let's take out the calculator. We'll leave it with this, right? 47% for Haley minus 3.7% really turns into 43.3% for Haley. 42% for Biden plus 3.7 could be 45.7% for Joseph Biden. In other words, beating Nikki Haley. Do you see how important margins of error are? If you're going to have swing votes like that, that totally reverses the statistics and the percentages that these stooges want you to believe, then you should just throw out the poll because it doesn't matter. It's a dead heat. It's statistically irrelevant. Okay, 40 whopping minutes on math. Wow. And proportions. I'll be back tomorrow. It's going to be a rounding off of the week. Uh, I'll be back with uh, Greg Bolden, as always, to wrap up said week. And we'll have a guest on. Going to be a fantastic guest. So look for that on X. You can follow me, uh, Last Call Caravan. And also you can find me on all the podcasting platforms, Last Call Podcast with Chris Michaels.